As we move into this, our second to last out of all of these narrative approaches to the book of Mark, I wanted to give you a a lay of the land for this episode. You see, as I read and reread this very familiar section of Mark's accounting of the moment at Calvary where Jesus died for us, I just couldn't stop thinking about what was it like for the Father? How did it feel for him? How did the mechanics of the crucifixion and the mockery of the passers-by, how did that land with the Father of Heaven? So I decided to write this particular episode and encounter actually with a voice as if written from the throne of heaven. So that's where we'll be, and that's the voice you'll be hearing is my imagined accounting of this whole scene, verses 22 through 47 of the 15th chapter of Mark, from the perspective of Father God. Perhaps some of you, as fathers, understand my feeling. You have experienced the unique pain of watching your child struggle or suffer. You have awoken to the sound of their coughing in the night or have carried them from the field with their first broken bone. You have listened to the story of that person who has broken their heart, their first unrequited love. You have held them close in the sadness of it. You have seen them do wonderfully noble things, things nobody cared about. You have watched them start to understand the world's harshness, its indifference. And I'm not unmindful of the pains of my daughter Mary, Mary of Nazareth, the earthly mother of my son. I watched her too throughout the passing of that day. I had told her from the beginning, through Simeon at the temple, if you remember, that a sword was destined to pierce her heart due to her boy. And I recall the look on her face. She didn't quite believe it. She was so enamored with him, so delighted. But now I know she believes it. She knows, I know, the same pain as I. For I am a father, though of heaven, and this is my son, my dearly loved, well-pleasing son. And though he is part of me, I am yet his father. He is the one whom my heart loves. You see, it is 10,000 years like a day to me since the day when we decided to create everything, when we spoke it by his being into being. It feels like any parent will say to you, just like yesterday, that he would walk in the garden with the first two of you in the coolness. You've read of that, I'm sure. I remember the way it was. And I remember how the conversation went after they chose to eat of the fruit, the deep pain in the look of my son's face, how he knew uh, by the interplay of our spirit what I'd decided, what we'd decided about the eventual means of redemption. And then came that day. It was the second most difficult day I have ever experienced. That Friday of Passover would be the first, quite naturally. This other was, in your earthly reckoning of things, a Tuesday afternoon, 
My son, knowing the time was accomplished for the moment of its beginning, seeing the setting set, though the people not too particularly attentive, looked over at me upon our shared throne. I'll never forget the look on his face in that moment. And knowing all that it would mean for him, I nodded. We shared fully together in that moment. And then he stood up, descended the steps, all of heaven quieting the presence of his movement downward, and entered into Mary's womb. I remember it like it was yesterday. And yet, 10,000 years hence, and also before all things, but it stays with me even now. And thus, as you've seen or heard or read of or heard told of what followed after, I imagine you can imagine what, in worldly years, those next 33 were to me. How I dwelt alongside and yet missed my son constantly. How I delighted in the perfection of his obedience. How it was for me to see him there among you, unrecognized. Oh, how he played his part so perfectly, my son. How he was me and you at the very same instant, every day. And then came that fateful, faithful week of his. I'm sure you know the antecedents of it by heart. I know you know the seeming victory parade. The words of those councilmen, ostensibly in my name, imagine that. You know the teachings in the temple, the final supper, his talk with me up in the garden, his arrest by those religious officers. You've seen the stages of his trial. Imagine my watching those proceedings from where I sit. And you've heard those final fatal words, crucify him, crucify him. I knew, of course, this was coming. This was our plan, after all. And yet the sound of those words on the lips of my people... It broke my heart. Let me trace the remainder for you uh, from my vantage. They took him to a place they called Golgotha, which means Skull Hill in their language, and they offered him some drugged wine, but he would not take it. His eyes were turned in my direction, refusing. He would drink my cup, unclouded, tasting every drop. Then they crucified him. Stop there. Stop for a moment and turn your eyes that way again. He has only just said goodbye to Simon, the man from distant Cyrene, and the soldiers have only just cast the cross upon the ground. Two of my sinful sons, bandits and thieves of the darkest ilk, are fighting against the soldiers, trying to wrench themselves free of their own crosses. Not so, my son. He silently turns his broken body, carefully sets himself upon the upward beam, and then lays himself out upon the cross himself. Not one man, one soldier, had said any word. It was our soundless conversation that directed his movements. And the hammer's blows, uh, 
uh, echoed over the city, over the district, over the world, as they nailed him to our cross. And the stifled grunts of pain that sounded from him were the sounds of your redemption in his blood, and I heard them all. And then the soldiers shared out his garments, drawing lots to see what each of them would get. They were so equitable with his garments. It was about nine o'clock in the morning when they nailed him to the cross, which was the beginning of the end, uh, the end of the beginning. And over his head, the placard of his crime read, written in this way because of their governor Pontius Pilate, the king of the Jews. All of heaven was quiet in the presence of those words. The angels and saints were brokenhearted at their narrowness. I myself was tempted to reach down and alter the language to read in truth, Jesus, the Son of God, the King of all kings. I let the charge go untouched. They also crucified those two bandits, both of them known and loved by me, at the same time, one on each side of him. My morning sun had risen high by this time. All was lit by its bright golden glow of springtime. Everything felt so terribly incongruous from the heavenly side. The life of Jerusalem was just going on below. And the passers-by, people just on their way in and out of the countryside, jeered at him, shaking their heads in mockery, saying things to my son like, Hey, you! You could destroy the temple and build it up again in three days. Why not come down from the cross and save yourself? Each of those voices pained me. The chief priests, men who had been raised up in the environs of my temple, some who had entered into my earthly presence in that little curtained room, also made fun of him among themselves and with the scribes. And these were the sort of things they were saying. He saved others. He cannot save himself. If only this Christ, the King of Israel, would come down now from the cross, we should see it and believe. And my eyes were upon the eyes of my son, who ranged his eyes over the faces of all the people and loved them yet. And even the men who were crucified with him hurled abuse at him. At least they did for another few minutes. After which, in, in case you've somehow missed the tale of his coming, one of those bandits was the first to enter into heaven alongside my beloved son. My son introduced him to the angels and saints, to me, with unconcealed delight. This one saw the kingdom even upon the cross, he said. This particular fact brought my son's heart much joy. At midday, darkness spread over the whole countryside and lasted until three o'clock in the afternoon. That was me. That was my doing. It was no solar eclipse, as the scientists of every age proclaim. I simply threw a fold of my cloak over the edge of the galaxy in which you live, 
the sun and moon and stars became as nothing to you. I would shield the distant reaches of the universe from the sight of my son's death. Even the moon, stars, and sun need not see what happened there. And at three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He cried out to me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I answered unto his spirit, using these words. We are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel will praise. In you, their descendants will put their trust. They will trust in you and you will deliver them. To you, they will cry out and be saved. In you, they will trust and will not be put to shame. I am not far from you, son. This trouble is nearly over, and I will be here to help. You, my son, are not far from me. I will be your strength. You are coming quickly back to me. I will deliver you. Your precious life will be raised up. These very men will declare your name to all people. In the assembly of all mankind, they will praise you. All who fear the Lord God will praise you. All the descendants of this day will honor you. All will revere your name. For you have not despised or scorned the suffering that was due them. You have not hidden your face from them, but have listened to their cry for help. All the ends of the earth will remember and will turn toward you. All the families of the nations will bow down before this day. For dominion belongs to my son, Jesus, the one they say is from Nazareth, and he shall rule over the hearts of all the nations. Posterity will serve you, son. Future generations will be told about the Lord Jesus. They will proclaim your righteousness, declaring to people yet unborn, He has done it. But some of the bystanders heard these words which my son spoke to me in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama samachthani, and said, Listen, he's calling for Elijah. One man ran off and soaked a sponge in vinegar, put it on a stick and held it up for my son to drink, calling out, Let him alone! Let's see if Elijah will come and take him down. What a curious double act was that man's, both to help and to mock my son's struggles. What a curious thing has been the twinned nature of mankind. But now the hour had come. All of heaven grew perfectly silent at the sight. And I myself was watching. And Jesus let out a great cry. John, standing there, happened to hear it. It is finished! And my son died. And in my grief, I reached down and tore the curtain of the temple sanctuary. I tore it from the top to the bottom. 
I was sick of all the separation between my father's heart and your heart. My perfect son had repaired the divide forever. And I breathed a sigh of relief at our reconnection. And the Holy Spirit went forth. And when the centurion who stood in front of my son saw how he died, he said, This man was certainly a son of God. What an astute word that was. I was pleased to hear those words upon that bloody hilltop. And I was pleased to watch the faces of those others. You see, there were some women there looking on from a distance, among them Mary of Magdala, Mary the mother of the younger James and Joseph and Salome. These were the women who used to follow my son as he went about in Galilee and look after him. And there were many other women there who had come up to Jerusalem with them. And now they are all here with me. These were the truest-hearted followers of Jesus, and they too would form the foundation upon which you stand, all you men and women, for all time. But I digress. Let us return to the moment at hand. When that evening came, because it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, that is, the day of the week when these religious murderers would seek to honor he they'd just finished killing, Joseph from Arimathea, a distinguished member of the council, who himself was prepared to accept the kingdom of God, and a man I deeply honor for this brave act to follow, went boldly, I would even say courageously, into Pilate's presence and asked for the body of my son. Pilate was naturally surprised that he should be dead already, and he sent for the centurion, he of the this man was certainly a son of God statement, and asked whether he had, in fact, been dead long. By now it was something like 45 minutes after the fact. On hearing the centurion's report, Pilate then gave Joseph the body of my son. Oh, to watch his body brought down. To watch its every lifeless movement. And Joseph had brought a, a linen winding sheet, took him down and wrapped him in it, and then put him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the solid rock, rolling a stone over the entrance to it. Mary of Magdala and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on and saw where he was laid. I was looking on, and I too saw where he was laid. And the words of my servant David echoed back unto me over the years. And by my spirit, I spoke to the conquering spirit of my son. You have set the Lord your God always before you. You are ever here at my right hand. You shall not be shaken. Therefore, our hearts are glad, and my whole being is rejoiced. Your flesh also shall dwell secure. For I will not abandon your soul to Sheol, my son, or let you, my Holy One, see corruption. For you have made known the path of life to all. <laughs> 
In our presence, there is fullness of joy. At our right hand, there is pleasure forevermore. Bless you, my glorious son. You have done it. It is finished.